0: Hello and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show of Freightwaves for all things related to consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freightwaves. I do some on the data side and also some on the media side. And today um, in the CPG industry, we're going to be talking uh, to Phil uh, Schmidbauer, who is the Senior Director of Analytics at ODW Logistics. It's a third-party logistics company that specializes in working with shippers in a number of different verticals, including the food and beverage. So we'll learn um, about uh, what he's seeing in the marketplace, how a logistics company can help uh, CPG companies. Um, we'll, we'll hear about that a little bit later. But first, I'll just do one news story, which is um, really sad. one of the, the big news stories right now is the ILWU Canada uh, port worker strike in uh, Western Canada and British Columbia is now in its 10th day. We have a lot of good material. On freightwaves.com and on YouTube, uh, related to this uh, situation. This is one article I'm showing on the screen here, written by Greg Miller, published on Friday. It says over 20 ships now wait off of the ports of uh, Canada as the work, uh, work, dock worker strike drags on, which is now in its 10th day. He outlines that there's now about 23 uh, vessels waiting off of uh, the British Columbia ports, uh, including eight container ships seven bulkers, one general cargo ship, four container ships off of the port of Prince Rupert, uh, which is up in northern British Columbia, and then three additional uh, ships uh, further offshore. One additional uh, point that was incremental to me, at least from uh, Sal Medigliano on the, the round table this morning, was that uh, the strike does not pertain to grain or ore shipments. Those are protected by Canada, uh, Canadian law, from going on strike. So really primarily dealing with, uh, container ship um, operations uh, there. And you can see in all, all sorts of different data within Sonar, we have a, a product that deals specifically with ocean shipping um, called the Container Atlas product. And this one chart in particular kind of stands out just the last few days. Um, so this, what we're looking at here is the Ocean TEU Rejection Index. And so just like you know with tender rejections we talk about on the trucking side, these are rejections for uh, containers where the container ship line is saying no to uh, a, a shipment, and those have been pretty um, pretty low uh, up until the strike situation sort of set aside the the spike in in, in mid April, which actually wasn't too far removed from when uh, the the contract expired um, with ILW Canada at the end of uh, March. But uh, in the latest data point, it went from about six percent uh, ocean carriers rejecting about six six percent of inbound Vancouver loads to over ten percent. And you just have to keep in mind, I mean, these are mostly loads coming from Asia, so it is a uh, you know a couple week uh, transit time there, and it could be another week uh, you know lead time before the containers are loaded in in China. So it does suggest that at least some of the uh, container ships uh, lines are not sending as many vessels to the to the U.S. I know um, John McCown on the the, the Freightwaves TV uh, roundtable this morning said he did hear about one container ship that actually turned around um, and went back to China, which is an unusual situation uh, for for sure. Um, also, had a good um, discussion uh, this morning with um, Lorianne Larocco um, on FreightWibs TV. Uh, Bill Priestley moderated that, and, and Anthony Smith moderated that. You can go check that out on YouTube. Um, but some of the, the bullet points there really kind of pessimistic, actually, uh, as, as far as any resolution getting, um, you know, coming to fruition anytime in the immediate future, at least. Uh, she said it would take uh, the Canadian Parliament at least three days to get back in session. And doesn't sound like there's a political will right now to force an immediate end, even though it's having a tremendous uh, impact on uh, the Canadian economy. Um, so no sort of firm timeline for resolution. Um, and another thing that came out of uh, the uh, discussion this morning um, on Waves TV is, uh, you know, John McCown was talking about how the, the impact of, of Vancouver relative to U.S. ports said, you know, you sort of put that in context uh, versus the, the U.S. West Coast ports, of course, much smaller. But still, about what twenty-one percent of what the U.S. West Coast volume would be, and then you sort of look at the portions that are destined for U.S. consumption centers. If that's really what you're concerned about, and it would be more like a six percent of what U.S. Um, West Coast imports um, would be. So still a tremendous, you know, impact. Uh, particularly the the containers coming through the port of Prince Rupert, which about sixty percent of that. Um, freight comes to U.S. Uh, consumption on uh, Canadian National, a lot of that goes directly from uh, Prince Rupert to Chicago or or Prince Rupert all the way to, to Memphis before um, going onward from there. So uh would uh, encourage you to keep it uh, tuned to FreightWaves.com uh, and FreightWaves TV and uh, check uh, updates on FreightWaves Sonar for, to see the impact of the ongoing um, ILWU Canada uh, strike in uh, British Columbia. Um, with that, I uh, want to bring on today's guest to talk about uh, CPG uh, companies um, you know, directly. So I'm going to intro today's guest. It's F- Phil Schmidbauer. He's the director, of senior, uh, senior Director of Analytics and Solutions at ODW Logistics. That's a third-party logistics company that specializes in um, that specialties include lean supply chain management, operations management, carrier management, logistics design, and process improvements. Phil, if we have you, thank you for joining me on The Stockout. Yeah, I'm all here. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Uh, good to see you. I know you've uh, been on other shows on, on FreightWaves TV. This, the only difference here is we're just dealing specifically with um, you know, CPG companies, at least the issues that they care the most about. And um, maybe just to, to start, why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview of ODW for those who aren't familiar and the services that you provide?
1: Yeah. So ODW Logistics, um, we're a, a third-party logistics provider. Um, and we like to we like to work with companies on their entire supply chain, right? So we have warehousing and contract logistics, um, and then our logistics management and transportation management. And we really work together to help, um, optimize the supply chains as a whole. Um, and not just looking at one segment of it, but really working together for the customer to help optimize not only inside the four walls of the warehouse, but what's coming in, inbound of the warehouse. And then the outbound shipments to uh, a lot of retailers, we do a lot of different uh, segments of, of business, but a, a large retail consolidation that we're we're building and, and shipping out on from Columbus, Ohio market today.
0: Great. so right up the alley, of a lot of CPG companies were you know interested in that uh, retail consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, if maybe just, uh, to, just just to kick it off here, um, as, as far as you know, what are you seeing right now in the freight marketplace? And um, you know, you, you talked to a lot of shippers, like carriers. You know, do have a chart from Sonar. That's kind of interesting. Just in, in that, um, you know, see the white line there is is, is contract rates on average, excluding fuel surcharges. And blue, we have spot rates excluding fuel surcharges. Of course, there's been a big, you know, big gap between those two of them for for you know really over a year. But it was kind of interesting as you see that blue line for spot rates has kind of increased in in June, right at the end of the quarter. Do you think that is maybe related to just end of the quarter surge? Or are you seeing anything more substantial in the the trade marketplace that could signal the turnaround? Yeah,
1: yeah, not really. I mean, to your to your point, I think there might be a little a little change. I don't I don't know that it's going to sustain. Um, you know, we saw the little blip uh, back in the beginning of the year as well, and and things continued to drop. So um, I don't know. But this has been this is actually a very a graph that we use a lot and we talk to our customers a lot, um, and it's all about helping them understand the difference between the two. Like we can go chase rate all day long, but you got to be careful that you're not burning bridges and relationships with your carriers that are keeping you up and stable, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at like inbound lanes that are dedicated and we've been working with carriers and saying, Hey, look, you can see the gap. We see the gap in rates between the contract rates and, and, um, the spot rates. Uh, we, we, we need to work together here to make sure we can keep you on the business, but we got to give the customers some cost relief, right? It's, It's where the market is. So It's definitely a delicate balance as data has been invaluable to us, helping us have those conversations with our customers. But um, again, I go back to the same things that I always say on these shows, is that relationships matter and you have to build good, solid relationships and you have to communicate with people effectively. And really,
0: that's what it boils down to, both talking to your carriers and talking to customers. Yeah. So how can a shipper uh, maintain that relationship? I mean, right now, I mean, a shipper can can say all they want. Okay, we're going to give you this freight. Um, at a better rate than you could get out in the in the, in the marketplace, maybe at the at the, uh, that we could you know we're not gonna you know take every bit of cost yeah out. we'll give you a decent rate on the contract rate but you know in exchange we want to be taken care of when this thing eventually turns and it will turn we don't know when but it will so so how can a CPG company sort of maintain that uh, relationship?
1: You know I think it started back uh, back during COVID right when everything was absolutely crazy with COVID and I think a lot of shippers learned their lesson that like you can't just go chasing the spot market rates all the time, right? You, you have to build a relationship with carriers. You have to use the same, you know, use that relationship and build on it. So, you know, what our thing is, is all about it, outperforming an index. So if there's an index on a spot market, we have spot market freight. We try to, we try to beat that index. If there's a contract market, we're, we're trying to beat that index or at least help educate our customers and saying, look, like you want to be taken care of now because when COVID happens again, these are the carriers that we build relationship with during COVID we have to take care of them because if something like COVID happens again, you're gonna be left in the dust. And and you guys know from an international standpoint, and, and a big segment of our business that grew over COVID was container rescue. Uh, rescuing containers from the ports, when the ports couldn't get it done, it cost an absolute fortune to get it done for customers, but guess what costs more? Not having freight in the retailers. When you can't fill the shelves at Walmart and, and Target and other retail locations, your freight might as well, you know, might as well be worthless. So for us, it was all about helping customers get free to the shelves during that time. And again, it's going back and having those conversations about making sure we're building relationships with carriers and our customers to leverage the marketplace as best we can without taking overly taking advantage of carriers and, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess on that point, um, you know, how, I mean, this one way that, you know, uh goods company can prevent some of these fees from retailers and not having shelves that aren't stock and those things. Any other strategies you have to, reduce, eliminate these on-time and full fees? Yeah, so there's
1: a couple of different strategies I've seen people take over the last few years. Um, you know, there's there's some companies that, that we've done business with in the past and they wanted to expand their footprint, have more DCs, be closer to uh, the Walmart DCs or the Target DCs, and they wanted to have have more shipping locations. And what I've, my personal experience with those companies is then they struggle from having the right inventory in the right places and inventory can often be expensive. So if you have a limited SKU base and you have very inexpensive inventory, then maybe that's a good strategy. But when you have inventory that costs you a lot of money and a lot of capital outlay, and um, you have a lot of different variation in in your SKU mix and the demand of those SKUs, uh, sometimes simplifying your supply chain is better. So we had a customer that was in one of our DCs out in the West Coast in California and in the Midwest. They previously had three nodes. They had uh, uh, Columbus, uh, Missouri, and California. And they got rid of the Missouri because it was about simplifying the network lowering the outlay of cash they had to have an in inventory. And then we brought them into 1DC in Columbus and we're consolidating their freight. And really we were able to mitigate most of the cost increase you would expect from freight because of optimization and being able to optimize their freight better. Um, so we took an average, what was an average of, I think it was like 24,000 on, pounds on their given truckload. And it's now up over 32,000 pounds on average over the truckloads. And there's times where you just have to hit on time, right? So you might have a 20,000 pound truck, but it's all about, and I've always believed this. I had an old boss that said, if we had glass sides on the trucks going down our highways today, we would be embarrassed as as a country to see what happens and how much air we ship on a daily basis. And that's where our focus is, right? Because you can have the best rate per mile on a lane, but if that truck is half, half empty, I'll call it, you're you're basically wasting your money. You might as well pay two X uh the the lane rate. So our goal is really to optimize what's going on that trucks and shipping out to the to the retailers.
0: Yeah, so there's optimization. It seems like there's lots of different sort of levels to this optimization. Um, having full truckloads instead of not full truckloads, potentially using truckload instead of LTL, which I know is something that um, you have some thoughts on, and then maybe using intermodal units instead of truckload when there's an opportunity and maybe it's not time sensitive enough. Um, you know, what do you think about those modal conversion opportunities? And uh, do you think there's opportunities to do those things as well? Yeah, so there's definitely an
1: opportunity to do it. To your point around time sensitivity, right? Intermodal, generally, if you have a long haul coming inbound and you can build up some inventory in your warehouse before shipping out to the the customers, it might make sense to take the cost advantage of intermodal. Although the intermodal spot market has been, um, you know, it's just you have to be in the right lanes for it to make sense these days, uh, depending on where you're bringing freight into. Um, And really, optimization is all about everything you just stated, right? What's the right time to bring something from LTL onto truckload? Maybe it even cost you a little bit more, but you have better reliability on your on time, right? Because where some of these retailers will really get you is if you're not on time, the fees might outweigh, um, might outweigh the cost you're saving in transportation. So it's a delicate balance and not only, not only talking about what's going on in the trucks, but we try to optimize the way orders are written um, as well. So Walmart is one thing. Walmart's invested a lot of money into a system that helps consolidators build those loads and bring it inbound because they understand the value of it. Other retailers have not um, understood how to do that. So we sometimes work with our customers and say, hey, you've got the same person writing an order for you in Pennsylvania on a Monday and a Thursday. Can we just ship those together and deliver at the same time? And guess what? The customer generally, the retailer is, is happy to do that because it actually saves them a dock appointment uh, and bringing that freight in on a weekly basis. So again, we're, we're looking at the entire supply chain, also looking at how to leverage the warehouse. So Um, You know, building building efficiencies for the warehouse so that they're not picking 10,000 cases today and 30,000 cases tomorrow. So as a transportation planning organization, we're working with our warehouse very closely to help plan their manpower, plan the outbound shipping schedule, all while helping manage uh, the on time and in full percentage at these retail locations.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's more collaborative and strategic relationship with the shippers. It's not like the traditional broker model where you're just, you know, this is today's transaction. It's, it's really an ongoing uh, relationship that's, um, that's very in-depth. Um, I mean, you mentioned warehousing. What, what do you see in the warehousing market right now if those rates come down with the, with the building and with the, the softening rate market?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, you know, keeping in mind that warehousing is, you know, there's a lot of leases or three year leases or five year leases for a lot of stuff. And that's what we deal with is longer, longer term leases, right? So there has been some space open and available at certain locations. You can see in the news where Amazon may have slowed down some of the the more regional uh DCs and they're kind of consolidating back into, into maybe some some more regional instead of local DCs. I'm sorry. So um, you know, maybe a little bit. I don't I don't know that. Um, you know, you're seeing rates necessarily drop through the floor or anything, but it has softened a little bit over the past, say six months or so, and who knows where the future is going to hold. But, um, I think, I think COVID taught us a lot about that. I think people are starting to dwindle down their inventory that they had built up shortly after COVID. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we have seen a little bit, but I wouldn't say that its rates are dropping through the floor. Got it.
0: Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. I mean, it's still as longer term leases. I mean, they just haven't, maybe have just haven't rolled over yet and, and, and need to, to roll over. They'll be repriced a uh, lower, um. I also wanted to ask you one of the the, the hot topics of the hour. Yellow um, cat that has you know nine maybe nine hundred lives. You know if if that were to do a lot with LTL, if that were to go out of business, what's your what's your your plan there?
1: Yeah, so I mean, our plan is is um, we have multiple carrier different, different carrier relationships, right? So we're very close with Yellow. We use them as a partner, and we're staying close to the situation. But we've got a lot of different carriers we use. Um, another thing is we we always try to optimize on the truckload, right? So there's always that option. The same thing happened. Uh, during covid when we have c- had capacity constraints um you know we're utilizing our truckload carriers we might move stuff to intermodal you know and the market sees those shifts as well so people are already you're already seeing people's freight shift off of yellow people are worried about it um and we're talking to our com- customers and communicating with them to make sure that they understand hey here's what's going on here's what we're seeing you know there's articles coming out on a daily basis there was another one today you know kind of where the creditors have given them a little bit more a little bit more time to work through the the issues with the union but um, you know, there's always, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, union negotiations going on and it seems like on an annual basis or every other, every other year. So it's the, it's the same kind of process. We're planning accordingly, being responsible with our discussions with both our partners as, as in carriers and our customers to say, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what we know. Um, everything else is speculation. So, uh, what, what do we want to do to make sure our customers are protected and we're just open with our, with our, with our carriers. We've talked to yellow a lot and said, Hey, you know, we're going to work with you. Um, but we need to make sure that we protect our customers' it right as well.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we really, have to protect the customers and 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 really sort of keep them informed um, and, and all those things. Uh, you know, I want to ask you. I mean, you say on your um, your website, food and beverage is one of the areas of expertise, one of the verticals you do a lot with. You know, what are some of the um, maybe specific issues that those companies you know run into, and, and how do you help mitigate those? Yeah, so oh, we've seen so many
1: so many issues over the past uh, few years that we've, we've dealt with, right. That, um, you know, when you have food, you know, you've got food grade facilities, things like that. You got the FDA, sometimes that might come in and, and find an issue with a recall. Um, so now we've got a reverse logistics plan that we've got to put in place to get product back from certain locations. Should that happen? Um, you know, the challenges are, are never ending. Um, and it's, it's one of the, you know, kind of one of the reasons that I got into supply chain a long time ago. I had a professor at central Michigan that um, in 2002, when I graduated, he had just got done coordinating the, uh, 9-11 efforts in, in New York city. And he did a presentation on it. And one thing that, that hit me is like, you know what, we'll never be out of a job as logisticians because there's always going to be problems. Products always have to move. Um, and until we start to teleport products across the United States, there's just going to constantly be challenges. You know, it's kind of like having my three boys at home. Like there's always something I'm having to, it's like whackable. Someone's always in trouble. Um, but, but that's what the supply chain is like. You never know what kind of issues you're going to run into. And it's one of the things that just. I love about the job is everything, there's a new challenge every day. Um, so whether it's a, a recall, or maybe it's um, labor shortages in a certain market, or something like COVID, where we're having to come up with some crazy, crazy ways to get their product off of container ships and into their warehouses, um, there's just nonstop challenges with customers, whether it be food-related or not.
0: Have you see anything innovative um, that you would call out uh, to build resiliency in the supply chain? it seems like that's kind of what a lot of these companies are trying to do right now is, you know, we had all these issues during COVID. We didn't have the right ingredients. We didn't have the packaging. We didn't have the people. We didn't have the manufacturing um, uh, mm-hmm. capabilities. Any sort of creative things there on, on re- supply chain resiliency? Yeah. You know,
1: it's it's interesting. Everybody talks about that and and trying to understand what, you know, what that means. It's like, how, how do you guarantee you're going to have labor available in a, in a market like that, right? During COVID or something like that. So it, it's, um, again, I, I kind of go back to number of nodes you're managing and simplifying your business. Um, you know, the more, the more skews you have, the more locations you have to manage, the more complexity you build into your business, the more difficult it's going to be to manage during chaos. Um, and so, uh, I, I don't know that I've seen anything technology wise that's going to drive that a lot of it is visibility and planning. Um, you know, I think about us, we, we literally, like our president, John, you know, came to us quite a few months before COVID and said, we need to start ordering laptops in case we all have to go remote. And we kind of thought he was crazy at the time. And here we are a few short weeks after that, like the entire office within a couple of weeks is full of remote, still managing transportation for customers, et cetera. So, you know, a little bit of foresight and understanding, but I, you know, I think it was just planning and making sure you have a contingency plan in place for when things do go wrong
0: is really the key. Yeah. That reducing the number of SKUs, I've definitely seen that a lot in the CPG industry where they've cut the SKUs that weren't moving. I mean, some of the big the CPG companies are, will say, "Well, you know, if we cut customers SKU, if so many different brands at different price points, they'll just go and buy one of our other SKUs." Um, yeah. So, so you do see that degree of simplification. And I guess in terms of simplification, in terms of the number of three PLs that um, you know company uses, you know, what what are the sort of advantages of just you know, going with 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 one uh, versus multiple?
1: Yeah. So. Um, it, to me, it's all about partnerships, right? And so we see this in our warehouse. We have certain warehouse customers where we might be managing part of the transportation and another 3PL is managing the other part of the transportation. And really the challenges are um, managing the flow of product in the warehouse, right? Because we might be planning half the orders and we're not able to level load the entire workflow of the of the warehouse uh, employees and how many cases they can pick a day and stuff like that, right? So it takes more communication as well as system of connectivity, right? Now you have more systems in the mix when you're trying to do integrations and stuff of that nature. So, um, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, you really need to go with one 3PL that you trust, right? That's really easy to say, but really the results for us are shown when we actually start working with customers and actually show them, hey, we can help level load these issues as, as a combined integrated solution that we provide for our customers and, and retail. Like our happiest customers are the ones that are using ODW Warehousing and Transportation Because we provide that level of problem solving, right? We can we can move around if the warehouse is having a bad day or they've got some call offs or whatever. We can help them move around and plan freight accordingly to help accommodate some of those things that might happen in their business, and vice versa. When they're when maybe they have capacity and they can get ahead a little bit, we can help them understand. Okay, here are the orders that you need to pick to get ahead, Uh, so that tomorrow you can have you know we can level out the load coming tomorrow. So really understanding the entire supply chain. And optimizing not only the freight, which a lot of people don't do well, um, you'd be amazed at how many trucks I see go out, or how many orders I'll see where Tuesday and Thursday there's an order going to the same destination, uh, and they just ship it on two separate LTLs. Even shipping it as one LTL is going to be more cost effective, right? So for us, it's all about just that process of helping customers understand that that we're not just shipping every order as it comes out the door. We're optimizing those and having them shipped in the right manner, as well as working on the warehouse and optimizing it. So. That's really why we like to have control of, of the entire supply chain in and out of that facility to do that work. And, and you know, we, we tell our customers, measure us against the competition because we think we'd knock it out of the park 100% of the time.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to, to have a logistics company see the entire thing, they can sort of diagnose what, uh, where the inefficiencies are. Um, maybe one last one for you, what do you see as the economic advantages of having maybe a sharing a warehouse with um, other shippers versus having a dedicated you know, warehouse and and, and which one do you advise your, your customers to in most cases?
1: Yeah, a lot of times um, for us, what it really boils down to and the place we want, the customers that are going to ship on the same trucks together in the same warehouse, right? Because now we don't have to transfer it in. So we have uh, multiple locations around the Columbus market. And really what we'd like to see is to start putting those customers in the same warehouse with other customers that ship to the same locations, because Otherwise, we're having to shuttle freight over to the cross dock and move it through the cross dock and touch it extra. And it's still cost effective to do that, but it can be even more effective if they're all in the same building and now we're just loading them out on the same trucks. Now, from a customer perspective, it's all about control, right? We have some customers that have dedicated warehouses, they have dedicated staff, um, and it's because they're big enough and it, and it makes sense for them. And really, there's not a cost advantage to sharing a larger warehouse with with other customers because you're just going to have the same dedicated staff and the same dedicated footprint. Um, but that's really where the advantages come in, in. Freight consolidation is is limiting the amount of touches and the amount of transfers we have to do to get that freight together on those same trucks. But again, we have millions of square feet of warehousing, and and it's not like we're looking for a three million square foot box to put everything in. So it makes it that much easier. But uh, we are trying to put put customers together
0: that ship together to the same locations and save some some transfer costs there. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Really depends on the size of the the, the shipper. The economics really change there. Um, so that's that very insightful. I really appreciate you coming on the show uh, and, and, you know, having this discussion with me. Uh, where can folks reach out to you and ODW Logistics? Yeah. My email is phil.schmidbauer at
1: odwlogistics.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can reach out to us on odwlogistics.com as well on the website. Uh, but Mike, I appreciate you having me. It was, it was great to join you. And uh, thanks for your time.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks very much. Hope everyone has a great day.